Hi, and welcome to Housewives of True Crime. Welcome. Welcome. I am Tabitha. Give me Dateline, White Wine, and I'll pick up your kids in the carpool line. The next day, right? Yeah, the next day. Okay. And I am Gretchen. I like White Wine, True Crime, and In Bed by Nine because I have a lot of stuff to do in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) We are Housewives of True Crime. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Well, welcome. Welcome. Housewives of True Crime. Yeah, welcome. We have a real good episode for you today. Yeah, we sure do. It's a another serial killer. Yeah, fun. Fun. Real fun. Or not. In it, Whichever it way you want to look at it. However you want to take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's Sunday, Gretchen. We made it through the weekend. Almost. Almost. I actually love the weekends. Oh, I love it so much. You would think that it's the same as the weekdays since we're stuck in the house, but it's really not. No, no homeschool makes all the difference in the world. No homeschool, no work. No no nutrition, cocktails flowing. Yeah. That's how we roll. Yeah, that's how we rolled this weekend. So it's been real nice. And actually, right after we record this, I am headed to go on the little boat ride again. Oh, fun. Super fun. Yeah. So what are you drinking? I see that you have a cocktail already. Well, I'll tell you what. I was going to take it kind of easy today, but had a little bit of a rough morning. So I combined my skinny stick. Do you know what that mm, is? By yeah, Sandrix? yeah. Yes, I'm yeah. a fan. With the vodka. Yeah, it's good, right? Yeah, it's a nice little cocktail. A little, Give me a little up. Take the edge off. You needed it this morning. We had a little hiccup. Yeah, a little hiccup with the episode. A little stressful. Like, yeah, like maybe all the recording didn't go through mm-hmm. or any of it. Right. But it's cool. Listen, I love to hear it twice. <laughs> right. Hey, it's kind of like <laughs> me only uploading my voice. Oh, yeah. You know, it happens to the best of us. It and does. it just happened to happen to us multiple times this week. It's, it really was one of those weeks that it doesn't surprise me at all that we totally fucked up everything. Like, and if you guys don't listen to Panic Party, that's our other podcast. I uploaded just an episode uh, with my voice only without any edits and me yelling at my children. Yeah. Winning points for me. <laughs> it's kind of funny because she really <laughs> never does like yell at them. Usually it's like, okay, what? This one time yeah. she brought down the thunder. So, yeah. and everybody got to hear it. Yeah. And then, Gretchen, uh, we got a bad review for it. So, we did? <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, seriously, people. Oh, cut us some slack, dude. We're in God. the corona. God damn. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. People are ruthless, man. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, they really are. So Gretchen's got a new pet, I heard. Yeah, listen. Okay, so my cousin Michelle surprised us and sent us caterpillars. Well, it wasn't really a surprise because she told me they were coming, but I forgot. I'm not making a regular check to the mailbox. Oh, no. Did they die? Well, a couple of them did. Okay. Okay. 
And my kids are still every day, like they go from being like a centimeter to an inch and a half, like in like three days, like when they start taking off, they go. But my kid, there's still a couple in there that are like a centimeter. And my kids are like, what about those ones? Oh, they're going to die. Hold up, big guys. You got to wait for, you got to wait for, I'm like, no, they're dead. Oh. (laughs) They're like, (laughs) what do you mean? I'm like, oh, sorry. I should have got to the mailbox sooner. But a couple of them lived. Yeah, that's good. Are they butterflies yet? No, they're like really gross. They like spin a web and then they like hang out. Like they're not sexy caterpillars at all. Nothing you would see on like Nat Geo. Okay. And then my kids, I'm like, you guys cannot touch them because they want to walk around with them and show them to everybody. And I'm like, no, they're doing their thing. They're making their cocoons. And my kids are reprimanding me all the time. And they're like, no, mom, it's not a cocoon. It's a oh, chrystalis. It's a chrystalis. That's and a I'm chrystalis. like, well, when the fuck did we change the name? Because for my whole life, it was a cocoon. I know. Isn't that crazy that it? we learned it as a cocoon? I know it. I mean, I think maybe there's a problem with the... It's like there's no Uranus or Pluto or something anymore. Like they just go and change it all. Yeah. Pluto's a dwarf planet now. And I really think that it probably always was a chrysalis that Ventura School District maybe just wasn't up to <laughs> standard. <the> <laughs> yeah. Oh, not surprised. <laughs> Not surprised either. So it's a chrysalis. And I think moths are the ones that make cocoons. Interesting. Yeah. Because there is still a cocoon. It's just a different species of flying insects. Okay. Just so you know. Noted. Schooled you. Yeah. (laughs) Go back to first grade. Schooled me on school. Well, you know, first syllables, then cocoons. It might actually, it might actually be... I guess it's that time of year because all of my kids in all their schools are learning about this butterfly caterpillar well, thing also. spring has sprung. I guess. It has sprung because it's really nice outside, which mm-hmm. I'm digging. Mm-hmm. And you guys in the Orange County are still off your rockers. Going to the beach and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't really know what to believe is true because I'm not going there personally to check it out but they show all these pictures there's still photos but when I watch the live cams of the news flying over it doesn't really look like there's a lot of people at the beach you know I think that they just want to take Orange County down to Chinatown I mean you guys have a big target on your back they're like screw you and your boob jobs and your beautiful beaches we're making an example out of you yeah, it's true. Yeah, who I knows? Mean, if, I don't know because I'm not there. Those bodies that those women had at your gym when I went there to work out one time, mm-hmm. I think I might be getting myself in a bikini and going down to the beach too if I look like them. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, they can't hand stay away. They can't stay away. You yeah, know what I they say. Know. If you got it, flaunt it. Well, I wonder how they're faring because my summer body is on hold till 2021, I've decided. No, you have not. You're still doing Ladies Edge. You're still working out, dude. I'm still doing it, but I'm not seeing any results in the scale department. It will happen. Mm -hmm. Just keep believing. Be a believer. Okay. Okay. Or be a believer. Oh, my God. Like me. Of course. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he's going to show up at my doorstep on Wednesday. I was just thinking that I'm sure he has heard the rumor. Well, it's not really a rumor, but I've heard he I'm sure he's heard your birthday is coming. 
I'm sure he has. I'm sure. I mean, somebody's got to tell him. Priority. Let's just uh, hope he's clean cut, Bieber. I know. I feel like maybe he's not maintaining himself during the pandemic, which I am. I shaved my legs and my face for the first time. Good. You're welcome. <laughs> you use those little shavers. They're amazing. Yeah, I reorganized my my bathroom area and I came across those and I thought, give it a try. Time in any. Yeah. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, there's these little tiny face shavers for women and it's really amazing and it's supposed to and don't get like all weirded out that we shave our face. It's shaving the peach fuzz off and it's also supposed to help with wrinkles. Yeah. And exfoliating your skin. And it doesn't make crazy beard grow back. It's just I didn't know I had a beard before. until I looked at the all of shaver the stuff out. that came off and I was like, oh <laughs> damn. I know it's crazy, right? <laughs> it's pretty gnar. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. I feel um cleaner now. Like I have less hairs that could catch the airborne Rona. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> I'll post another picture. I know we did at one point of those little things, but they're very inexpensive. And I promise you, your husband's, boyfriend's, girlfriend's. As long as they don't see you doing it because it's not sexy. Oh, no, it's not sexy. But like they'll appreciate it because sometimes you don't notice if you look at the side of people, which you don't when you're putting on your makeup. You see a lot of peach fuzz on the side of their jawline. I definitely didn't notice. The only thing I've ever noticed is for years, I get this one like old man hair out of the bottom of my chin. And every once in a while, I'm like in my car and I'm and like, catch it. I'm like, that thing is like an inch long. How long have oh, I been walking no around way. with that? <laughs> That's so gross. You know what? You're going to have to, when you're an old lady, always still be on top of that because you always see those old women that have those and you're like, dude, why don't you just pull that out? I can't. Oh my God. I'm going to have to tell my kids. You got to tell me. Got to tell you. I I would. I'll tell you forever, Gretchen. I'm sure you will. (laughs) But you won't let me come over to your house. So we'll probably still be social distancing when we're 80. Oh, no way. No way. Yeah. We are going to end that sooner than later. Mm, Yeah. Okay. So, oh, I didn't tell you what I was drinking. I am drinking cherry Coke zero. Oh yeah. That's exciting. That's a twist. It is a twist. It's a little sweet for me, but it's still good. Like it's a refreshing, you know, Sunday morning jam. Yeah. Instead of coffee. I like it. Yeah. All right. So Let's get to it. Yeah, let's do it. Well, Gretchen, Mm -hmm. since you did a serial killer last week, I'm following in your footsteps. Copycatter, dirty ratter. I know. Sorry. So fun, though. It is. It is. It actually, this one got me all fucked in the head. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you remember your serial killer, Carla Homolka? Mm-hmm. She was such a controversy, right? Well, she still is. She's on the and loose. Still is. Yeah, because she's on the loose. Well, this one's not on the loose. and But she is a woman also. Okay. With a lot of controversy. Ooh. Tell and me. this case comes out of Florida. Not surprising. Hi, Florida friends. Sorry, Florida friends. 
I know. We love our Florida friends. Mm-hmm. And we actually do like Florida, but you guys have some wackadoos. A lot of crime. Just saying. Just saying. Be careful. So before I start, I want to tell you that this was hard to research. And maybe that's why we don't do serial killers that much, Crutchy. I think that you will question what I questioned. And anyone that's done any research on this woman has questioned. But everyone else kind of overlooks the victims. And I think that's probably why we don't do a lot of serial killers. Yeah, I think that's true because we like to have kind of an even playing field, like not give too much attention to the killer. Talk that's more right. about the victim. Uh, right. The crime specific. Yeah, the crime specific. And this one with a serial killer, you're focused on like why they killed their past. And we're fascinated with the fact that somebody could kill for thrill, which yeah. don't get me wrong. I mean, that's all real fascinating to me also. But in this case, totally. I'm going to start with the victims and whether they're outstanding citizens or average Joes or fuckbags that don't deserve to live, they don't deserve for somebody to take their life. Okay. Okay. So it begins at the end of the decade, the 80s. We're over, baby. All right. Big hair bands were going to be replaced by phony lip-syncing brothers from Germany. Girl, you know it's true. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I love you. I love you. Vanilli, baby, and mm-hmm. NKOTB. Yeah, kids on the block. We're just popping up, and that was my first concert, 1990. You're such a dork. I know. <laughs> but in Central Florida, there were a group of white middle-aged men that would one by one be found dead not far from the highway where they each were traveling alone. Okay. Each man, each man, like I said, had a similar characteristic, and some were found in a compromised state. Some were found in their car. Others were found away from their car and their car abandoned miles from where their lifeless body lay. Dead men. That's a twist. Yeah. Already. Usually it's always the ladies. I know. Not this time. Okay. Some men were clothed and others were nude. Some cars were found with condoms thrown around, seats pushed up, And it made the investigators question, like, how could these men get murdered? What makes them a target? And how are they unable to get away? So the first man was found on December 1st, 1989. His name was Richard Mallory. He was 51 years old, an electric shop owner in Clearwater, Florida. Richard was found naked, rolled in a carpet on the side of the road with multiple gunshot wounds. The police didn't have any immediate leads, but what is known about Richard was he was a bit of a loose cannon. He spent 10 years in custody in another state for sexual assault. I would say Richard was a drunk that loved sleeping with sex workers. Okay. And actually not, it happens. Yeah. Actually not long after Richard was found, an abused sex worker came forward and claimed that she was the one that killed Richard. But after 
investigation into her own allegations, they just figured out that she actually wanted to leave her abusive boyfriend. And that was the only way that she thought she could. That's crazy. Yeah. So she didn't do it. Wow. The second victim is David Spears. He's 43 years old, worked for a construction company. And on May 19th, he was on his way home to his ex-wife's house where his kids lived. So I guess his old house. His daughter was about to graduate high school. And what they say about him was he was a real family man even after the divorce. He had two sons and a daughter. And he was found on June 1st, 1990. He was nude with just a baseball hat on and six shots to his chest. Ugh. May 19th. Happy birthday to Gretchen. That is my birthday. Damn it. Yeah. In 1990, how old were you? 13? Would have been like 18 and 96. So. 13. No. No, we're really bad at math. <laughs> oh my God. I think it's 13, dude. No, if I would have been 18 and 96, 18 minus 6, 8 minus 6 is okay, 12. 12. Okay, it was 12. <laughs> you guys. I didn't have anything to eat except for a cocktail. Well, I had one piece of bacon. I'm not firing on all <laughs> cylinders. Don't judge. Oh, God. And I have no excuse. I'm usually better than this. it's the trauma from the morning that we figured out that our episode that comes out today didn't have any audio i don't know yeah it's deep in trying to figure it out yeah so the third victim charles carxedon was a 40 year old truck driver and part-time rodeo bull rider Ooh, i can't find anything more about charles because i think he was didn't have a Facebook account in 1990. Well, no. Have you been to a rodeo tab? I feel like I you ha- haven't. No, I did go to a rodeo in Texas. And then I decided I didn't want to go to another one. Oh, okay. It makes me sad. I feel bad for the animals. You do? hmm Okay. Yeah. So Charles was found shot nine times. And he was found just days after David. And remember, David was found on June 1st. So these two guys were found within one or two days apart. The fourth victim was Peter Siems. He was a missionary man, very, very religious. His car was found, but he himself has never been found. He was on his way to visit his family in another state, and he vanished sometime in June 1990. They found his car in early July. Fifth victim was Troy Burris. He was a 50-year-old sausage salesman. No pun intended. Aye, aye, aye. Troy was known as a very smiley man, loved to talk to people. When you see his obituary picture, you kind of get this like warm heart when you see him because he looks like this like jolly man, you know? Okay. He was Married, his wife is the one that reported him missing. He was found with two gunshot wounds. And since Florida is real hot and humid, he was pretty decomposed. It's not said if he was nude or if he was trying to pack a sausage. Oi, but on bump. 
the <laughs> the sixth victim was Charles Richard Humphreys, who I had read in some places he went by the name Dick, also no pun intended, but then I read that he went by the name of Chuck, so... I vote for Chuck. I vote for Chuck also. I don't really, I never understand the dick thing. Me neither. I got it. He was 56 years old, retired Air Force major and former police chief. Okay. Whoa. Maybe, maybe that's where the dick came from. Maybe. <laughs> you know, some people. Sergeant Dick doesn't dick around. That's right. Right. Most have said that they are surprised that Chuck. Dick, whatever his name is, got murdered because, you know, I mean, I don't think he did fuck around. Well, maybe he didn't dick around because they were all in compromising positions. That is true. But let me tell you, he was not in a compromised position. He had all of his clothes on and his pockets were pulled out like he was robbed. Oh, well, that's sad. Which, Which they did know. That he was robbed. I mean, they all were robbed of their money, whatever money they had. He had just celebrated his 35th wedding anniversary, and his wife actually died like four or five years after he did. Oh, that's so sad. So sad, right? Yeah. She probably died of a broken heart. I'm sure my husband would die right after me, too, of a broken heart. (laughs) I would like to think so. Yeah, because I'm (laughs) twisted. The seventh and final victim is Walter Gino Antonio. He was found with only his socks on and bullet wounds to his chest and head. And he was a 61-year-old security guard with a fiancé. And his fiancé has since passed also in 2013. So she lived a much longer life than he And they found Gino's car abandoned, but this time they saw two women abandoning the car. Oh. Or a witness saw two women abandoning the car. By the way, socks on? Not sexy. Not sexy at all. No matter. Listen, you, you can leave about anything on, but not your socks. That's not sexy. That's right. And they... They, I mean, uh, I don't pull, I won't take off my bra sometimes because I don't want to go through the trouble, but I always take my socks off. Forget it. Always. Always. And there's a song, actually, this like funny song. It's called It's Business Time. And it talks about when the guy walks in with his socks on, it means that he's ready for some business. Ew. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> take them off. Take them off. <laughs> I think it's like called like Flight of the Condors or can't, I don't, I don't remember, but. I just remember that. And that's what I thought of when I was like, oh, he has socks on only? Yuck. No. And I hope that's not victim shaming, by the way, because we're not. Oh, God. No, we're not. It's all horrible. Yes. So we have in a matter of just 11 months, seven men were killed in Florida. And I think it's safe to say that they may have all been looking to have a good time. Okay. With an unsuspecting lurking murderer. Seems like a reasonable conclusion. And I'll say maybe. Maybe. Okay. This unsuspecting murderer is none other than Aileen or Aileen Wernos. Okay. Aileen, who at the time went by the name Lee when she was finally captured, 
She was a 34-year-old woman, and she looked rough. Okay. She was what people referred to as, like, washed up, used and abused. Rode hard, put away wet. That's exactly right. Got it. I'd like to say that this term came because of her. I'm sure it didn't. But Aileen, since the day she was born, her life was used and abused. Aileen was born February 29th, 1956 in Rochester, Michigan, to a 15-year-old mother that decided to drop her and her older brother off to their grandparents' house and take off to Texas, never to see them again. That's sad. Aileen's father, who she never met, was a convicted child rapist who would eventually commit suicide in prison. But she never met him, so... Okay, so there's not there. No. Aileen's grandparents raised Aileen as their own, not telling her until she was 12 that her aunt in another state was actually her mother and they were her grandparents. Yeah, 12 is not the right age to do that. It is really a vulnerable age, I think. You got to do it when they're little, like before they're six, or just wait till they're grown up. When they're mature, like this. It's Not just at 12. Like no, 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 no. Yeah, no, 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 no. So it didn't sit well with Aileen. And although this happened a lot, and it happens a lot, you know, it's often that people are raised by their grandparents. Like, it just, it wasn't a good thing for her to be raised by her grandparents because Grandpa Warnos was strict, violent, and real abusive. Ugh. And Grandma Warnos was a raging alcoholic. Damn. So she was beaten with the belt all the time. She was forced to be naked and take the abuse. In many different publications, it states that her grandfather started to sexually abuse her in her preteen years. And she also had sexual relations with her brother. Gross. At a very, very young age of 11, she started to seek acceptance from her peers outside the home. So she started sleeping with the town boys at 11 years old. She would ask for change and cigarettes in return for her body. And this got her a pretty poor reputation, as you can imagine. Yeah. So now she's getting abused at home. She's getting abused by her peers. And the town kids started really bullying her, like real bad. Yeah. Nobody wanted to be seen around her at all. With the little money that she would make, she would buy drugs, alcohol, and she would try to buy things for the town kids so that they would be friends with her. Yeah, that sucks. No. She was trying to be accepted and fit in and win some real affection from somebody, anybody, but they just kept abusing her. At the age of 14, she became pregnant from what she would say was an older man that had raped her. And I don't know. Like, we don't know. She gave the baby up for adoption. I'm sure she's 14, so... Whatever way it was, rape or not, I mean, it's they were still definitely rape taking advantage of her. she was 14. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. However you spin it. Right. In 
Her grandmother also died that year of liver failure. And by the time she was 15, her grandfather kicked her out of the house. So she's homeless, sleeping in the woods, in the back of like Michigan woods. She continues to have sex for money. She drinks a lot, does lots of drugs, and she quits school. At this time, her temper really started to show through. And people associated with her said she often had like raging outbursts. And I just, I don't blame her at this point. Like I would be going fucking ballistic too. Yeah. Well, she is at a, such a young age and she has no, has not been raised to have any coping skills or learned how to mm-hmm. regulate her emotions. So I'm sure she just, anything that comes along that triggers her, triggers her. Triggers she gets her. snappy. Right. So Michigan is cold, really, really fucking cold in the winter. That's and why all the homeless are in California. Yeah, that's where I would be, or Hawaii. Uh, yeah. If I could get myself there. Yeah. And she thinks the same thing. I mean, she's often sleeping in the snow with one blanket. That's it. And she's over it. So she starts hanging with the biker gang. And this biker gang often goes to Florida. Okay. And she likes Florida. Yeah. I like Florida. Yeah. We for all sure. like Florida. Yeah. The weather is good. The biker bars are real fun and the people seem better than the people in Michigan. So she hitchhikes her way to Florida. Okay. She spends a lot of time at this biker bar called the last resort. So Florida. Sounds, sounds real fun. Yeah. 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 There she becomes a pool shark a sex worker still to all the tourists and people there didn't really seem to judge her. And so she felt accepted at the last resort. Okay. There were a few things that never changed. She drank, partied real hard and sold herself for money. At one point she did try to wait tables, but I think her hard life and short temper just didn't deem well for the normal job. She was said also, like, she never got in real bar fights at the last resort, from what I could tell, but other bars she frequented, she often got in lots of bar fights. That'll get you fired. Persona non grata. Yeah, right. But in 1981, Aileen met an older man that was infatuated with her, and she quickly married him. He was in his 70s, the president of a yacht club, and pretty well off money-wise. Aileen, I think, obviously married him for the money. Yeah. And only nine weeks after the marriage, she beat him with his own cane, and he got the marriage annulled. This probably was actually her only hope to any normalcy in life, but she couldn't handle it. I mean, she blew it right away. Yeah. And she kept her life of vagrancy and drinking. She was no stranger to the law. Like I said, she got in lots of bar fights. And she started doing like petty theft here and there until one day she decided to rob a liquor store. She went into the liquor store and was just going to buy something. And then some thought in her mind told her that 
If she robbed it and the guy that she was seeing at the time still loved her, then it was true love. I don't know about that thought pattern. I have a crazy thought pattern like that. I do? do? Yeah. Like I will say like, okay, I'm going to weigh myself. And if it says like a certain number, then I'm like, oh, I can eat that. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, I probably still eat it anyways. But, <laughs> but I do play games with myself like that. Well, she played that game and that landed her right into the clink. Damn and it. probably the guy was out like in a second, right? Yeah. But I mean, she wouldn't know any better at that time. She's in her mid twenties. Everyone she's ever known has just fucked her. Yeah. And, and I mean that literally and figuratively, and I mean, she doesn't have any way of knowing normalcies in her life. Yeah. So after being released from jail. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Well, let me tell you, mylifeinabook.com is a very unique service. I did it for my mom and my grandmother, and it has been amazing. It basically turns your mom's life stories or your grandmother's or anybody that you think is special in your life into a book. So here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send a question via email to the special person, whoever you choose. You can ask custom questions too, but I just kind of let my life in a book choose what questions to ask. And then your special person like your mom can type their response or they can record their voice. And my life in a book compiles it all in a beautiful keepsake for you. And guess what? They can even create audiobooks. I mean, this is such a unique gift that will last a lifetime for you, your mom, your children, your children's children. It is the best gift you can give. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use our code CLINK at checkout for 10% off. This is an unforgettable gift for you and your mom. Get it today. Use our code CLINK, mylifeinabook.com. Listeners, did you know that an estimated 5 billion plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away each year? And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy to ship, leading to excessive carbon emissions. Plus, those products are often filled with nasty ingredients like chlorine and ammonia. That's a lose-lose situation for you and the planet. Nobody's trying to have that. Enter Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. The idea is simple. They offer refillable cleaning products with a beautiful cohesive design that looks great on your counter. Fill your reusable bottles with water, drop in the tablets, and wait for them to dissolve. Genius! You'll never have to grab bulky cleaning supplies on your grocery run again. Refills start at just $2.25. Blue Land is trusted in over 1 million homes, including mine, y'all. When I received my first shipment of Blue Land, I was blown away by how this simple concept just makes so much sense. It's so easy. You just 
drop the tablet into the stylish functional bottles and get your clean on. I love the subscription option because I am not trying to get one more bulky item in my cart. Blueland products really get the job done and leave my home smelling so fresh and clean. Blueland has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash clink. You won't want to miss this, guys. Blueland.com slash clink for 15% off. For the robbery, she started hanging out at gay bars. And she probably was like introduced sexually to women in prison, I would think, for the first time. Yeah, I love hanging out at gay bars. We really do. Yeah, we do. It's We have lots of fun there. Yeah. It's so refreshing to just like be able to go and dance and not be objectified or have to worry about anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had a lot great. of fun at some, at the patties. Yeah. So I think since men had let her down so much in her life, it was probably a nice change to see women. Yeah. Take a little dip in the lady pond. Yeah. Okay. So at uh, a bar in Daytona in 1986, she met what soon would be her longest love, Tyria Moore. Tyria is your typical butch looking lesbian. Okay. She's like big or boned, short hair, very masculine. White girl? White girl. Okay. Mm-hmm. She was a couple years older than Aileen also. So Tyria was much like Aileen. She was a drinker. She was crude and couldn't really hold down a job. She wasn't a sex worker by any means, but a bit of a vagabond. Okay. She sometimes worked at the hotel, cleaning the hotel that she lived at. And sometimes it said that she maybe was like a barmaid, but... Nothing was consistent. Tyria and Aileen were quick friends and lovers, and Aileen really wanted to please Tyria. Okay. They would they would stay together at motels that charged like a weekly or monthly rate, and Aileen kept patrolling the highway to pay for their lifestyle. So Tyria was like her pimp. Yeah, I, like I don't. I think maybe like. I don't think it was necessarily like Tyree was like, you got to get out there and make me the money, but it's possible. But I know that that's what she wanted to do for her. She's like, I need to keep this lady around. I really love her. I need to make her happy. So I'm going to keep bringing home the bacon. That sounds so healthy. Okay. Real, real healthy relationship. So she would dress as a broken down lady on the side of the street and request a ride down to the next town from the highway. She also went to rest stops to offer herself to men. And at this point, she had changed her name or she went by the name of Lee instead of Aileen, which kind of is like a more masculine name also. Okay. And she's still being abused. Although she has a partner and she loves her. I can't, I can just think like how a life on the road like that, where you're just putting yourself in a position with men doing things for them. I'm sure there is a lot of abuse that comes with that. Yeah. So on November 30th, 1989, when Richard Mallory picked up Lee, 
this is also, you know, Richard Mallory is Lee's first victim. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if he's a victim or if he's a victim due to self-defense. Okay. So okay. You can make the judge of this. And after so many hours of reading and watching Lee herself talk about this multiple times, I think I've come to the conclusion that it was self-defense. Um, in a book titled Dear Dawn, in which she writes, Lee writes letters uh, to her friend Dawn about this event. She does it in the same fashion that she does it on the stand. So what Lee says is that Richard picks her up. They were going to have sex. And instead, Richard ties her up to the steering wheel of his car and he rapes her anally and vaginally for over two hours. Richard then, with a visine bottle filled with alcohol, puts it in her vagina and her anus and under her nose. Oh, my God. She describes the pain in the letters, like, so excruciating. Ugh. And she also says she never had sex like that. Like, she just was into simple sex. Yeah. So Ugh. I think it was torture. And at this point, she snapped. Yeah. Somehow, she was able to grab her gun, and she shot Richard dead. She then robbed him, wrapped him in an old scrap carpet, and ran. With this money that she got from robbing Richard, she bought Tyria a gift, which made Tyria very happy, of course. Mm-hmm. And Lee was able to see from here the satisfaction Tyria was getting led to her own satisfaction and maybe made it easier to move on to her next victim. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Lee's next murder victim didn't happen for almost six months. This victim also was found naked, and from victim number two to six, the time was only four months. And then victim number seven was two months later, which happens to be almost one year from the first. So the deaths all resulted in robbery, and most of them, Lee would steal the car, I'm sure, to just get away from the scene, and then she would abandon the car somewhere else. On at least two occasions, she was seen in the car with her girlfriend, Tyria. And at one point, they actually got in a car wreck with the victim's car. And Tyria and her had to cover it up real quick. Like they grabbed the license plate and took off. Police were gaining on Lee. And after the last victim, and her murders were sloppy. Like she made some big mistakes. It wasn't like, I don't want to say it wasn't like she pre-planned it, but she was no, like, she wasn't going and, like, searching the web on how to murder cleanly, okay? Okay. She did not listen to our podcast. No. Okay. Got it. So she pawned a camera at a pawn shop. And they asked her for her name, which she gave a fake name. And they asked her for her thumbprint, which she gave. So that's pretty much giving your identity away. Right. If your thumbprints are in the system, which hers were because she had already gone to jail. I wonder if you can do something like put a line or something already on your thumb. I don't know. Or cut it your thumb or something. I wonder if there's a way around that. 
Dude, I'm sure there is. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't tell anybody how to do it, though. I'm sure they'll figure it out. Okay, just the same. Okay. She also was identified by a witness when she was abandoning the car. So you know how police work. They need, like, sufficient evidence before charging someone. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we're headed into early 1991, and Tyria leaves to visit her family in Pennsylvania, and Lee is hanging out at the Last Resort Bar when a couple of undercover cops come in to play pool with Lee. They take off, and she sleeps in the car seat outside the bar, like out in the open, until the next day when these undercover cops come back in and they arrest Lee at the bar. And how may, how long has she been, like, murdering people? One year. That's so fucked up. I mean, that's awesome that they, like, got on it. But, I mean, how many times? What was that? Sam Little murdered, like, 93 women years. over years and years, years and years. If it's women, it takes them more than a year. Well, it was because he was he was murdering sex workers. So they oh. just think that. At that point, you're thinking that maybe oh, they just yeah. got in a little trouble or and yeah. he was murdering all over the world. Not the world, but all over the United States. So anyhow, they arrest her on a warrant that she had a long time ago. And they have her in their custody, but they need more. Like they know it's her, but they need more. So they seek out Tyria. And they convince her to turn on her lover. And she does. Of course. Tyria takes immunity to get Lee to confess. And while police are recording conversations, Tyria is crying to Lee that she's nervous that they're going to take her down and she can't go to jail. And how could she do this? And Eileen finally says, you know what? I'll just confess and they won't take you down. You won't have to go to jail. I'll just confess to the murders and say that you didn't have any part of it. And that's what she did. She confessed that she killed the men in self-defense. And from this point forward, Lee is sensationalized as the first woman serial killer in America. Well, of course. The news is fierce, Gretchy, like out of control. People are coming out of the woodworks to make money on the story. Interviews, book deals, movies, made-for-TV movies. I mean, before the trial even started, she had people coming out trying to make a buck on her story. Bananas. Lee is in the clink. And she starts resorting to Jesus, as a lot of people do when they have a lot of time and they're in real big trouble. Or a pandemic. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she starts reading the Bible and she turns to God. And another person that had turned to God, a lady named Arlene Peril, she was a born-again Christian. She reads newspaper and she sees Lee's article and she is called from God to help Lee out. PTL. Praise the Lord. She is on prowl to see Lee, and she does, and she says, I have 
found you from God and I am here to help you. I'm going to hire you a lawyer and we are going to make it. And Lee is stoked. She's like, yes, please help me. Jesus. Yeah, help me, Jesus. Did she help her? Well, she did hire a lawyer. She hired this guy. I would say he's like a hippy-dippy lawyer with no experience at all. No, no, no. You need that guy. What's that guy that got? Mark Garagos? How about that? Mark Garagos would be good. I was thinking of the one that got, um, God. Casey Anthony off? Yes, Casey Anthony off. Yeah, I know. That's the one. Yeah, no, that's not him. This guy's name is Steve Glazer. Okay. Never, ever had probably a murder case at all. Not even a capital murder case, nothing. Okay. So I would think if you see this guy, you would think he would be in a Cheech and Chong movie. That's this kind of Steve. So Lee's first case was the murder of Richard Mallory and Glazer with his lack of experience didn't even try to get the death penalty taken off the table for a guilty plea. This guy was pretty much good at getting some adult adoption papers through because Lee was actually adopted by Arlene. Have you ever heard of this before? Yes, I have. I saw it on Love After Lockup. I don't know how this adult app adoption works, but I know that there is some, you can like adopt an adult. I don't know if it's just because you can claim them as a dependent or something, but somehow you get money. Well, okay. So I bet you Arlene is adopting her for money. What she says is she's adopting her because she needs more time with her. And if she's the mother of the inmate, I guess they get more time or they can see them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Sounds real suspicious to me. Yeah. The other thing that Richard did was sign a deal with him, Lee, and Arlene for a movie. Okay. Can you do that? Well, no, you actually can't. There's a law called the Son of Sam law. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Like prisoners are not allowed yeah, to make money. Yeah, they can't make money. Mm-mm. So- I'm sure Steve knew this, but Steve and Arlene, they- Conspired together? I think so. Yeah. Steve's doing this trial, and it's such a shit show, okay? I mean, it's so unfair, unjust. I actually have never seen something like this before. They allowed footage- of Lee from her confession to the other murders that she wasn't even tried for yet to be played for the jury. That's pretty crazy. I know. I think that had she appealed long enough and had a better lawyer, maybe this one would have been called into question, but yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Her lawyers never brought any expert witnesses or called anybody to the stand to defend Lee. This hippy-dippy lawyer never even uncovered that Richard had spent a decade behind bars for raping someone else. Oh, my God. And the worst thing was that her love, Tyria, got up on the stand and testified against her. Tyria. I know. While Aileen sat defeated, again, Tyria never once made eye contact with Lee. It is pretty heartbreaking. 
Yeah, because she knew that guy raped her. I think so. Yeah, but she took a plea deal. She took a deal, you know, saying that she would get up on stand, testify against her so she could have immunity. She knew that she was murdering people. Well, that's kind of bullshit, right? Because it shouldn't the plea deal is like you testify to the truth. You have immunity. Yes. It's, it shouldn't be you say what we want you to say. You have immunity. Yeah, but you know how that works. Yeah, I know how that works, but I don't like it. Aileen also took the stand in her own defense, and she told the story in great detail about the rape. It's the same story that she's told the entire time. And at the end of the day, it didn't matter because the jury found her guilty. In the courtroom, when they read the jury's verdict of guilty, she had an outburst and she looked at the jury in real crazy eyes and yelled, I hope you each get raped. She yells as she is led away, also telling them that she was raped and they were wrong. And honestly, for this murder, I think they were wrong. Yeah. Lee was sentenced to death for the murder of Richard Mallory, and this case would jumpstart the next few cases in which she was sentenced to death for all of them. She was found guilty for six of the seven men, and the seventh man, victim number four, Peter Siems, has never been found. We know that she killed him. Her palm print is found in his car, but Lee never told the police where he was. Hmm. So they didn't get her on that one, but she has six death sentences, so I don't think it mattered. I do hate when they don't tell where the body is. Like, come on. Yeah, but I think she probably felt like she was so... Still. Yeah, I know. For the family, I know. So you can see her lawyer was good for nothing, except he did get that movie deal signed, which she couldn't make any money off of anyways. And she kind of saw through Arlene and Steve and saw them for what they were, money-grubbing leeches. I had a feeling about Arlene. I know. Like, what are the odds that some lady just, like, reads in the newspaper and is like, I'm going to help you? I don't think so. She's Mm -hmm. trying to help herself. While on death row, Lee is locked in a seven-square-foot cell. 23 hours a day with one hour break to have activity, which she said she didn't want to take. While incarcerated, Lee did a lot of reading, a lot of thinking, and a lot, a lot, a lot of writing. But another thing Lee started to do was get very paranoid. Her mental state from what I think was even a little girl was off. And it just got worse and worse until Lee couldn't really tell fact from fiction. Mm. Maybe even when she murdered these guys, she actually thought they were going to hurt her, even if they were not. Yeah, I believe that. I think so, too. She was just so paranoid, I think, that she just shot them with any little trigger. Yeah. She was adamant that each one did do her wrong. And... I think with many of the men, they probably did do her wrong one way or another. And I also think to myself, like, 
every single day she was out there on the streets. So she was in contact with many men, like hundreds of men, probably, if not, yeah, probably hundreds of men in that year. And she didn't kill all of them. So there was something about each one that she felt that she was unsafe or unjust or rude to the point where she killed them. Well, who knows what it was? I mean, she had such a traumatic childhood. It could have been anything. It could have been, you know, a certain phrase or something. I mean, I hate that she had such a traumatic childhood and all of that, but I also don't want to make it sound like we're being overly compassionate for the murderer because, you know, she was clearly crazy and crazy people need to be locked up. That's right. She knew it was wrong. She knew that she shouldn't kill people. And I think after the first one, it probably just got easier to do. Gets easier in time. That's what it sounds like. And I think she was so sick of men using her and abusing her. She wasn't going to take the shit anymore. Mm -hmm. For years, she claimed that it was self-defense. In letters to Dawn, she expressed over and over the abuse from men. Now in prison, the thought that everyone was out to make money on her, took over her mind. For 10 years, she spoke about how the police were in on a movie deal and let her kill more and more to become a serial killer. I don't think that's true. Yeah, that's kind of a stretch. I think so too. But I will tell you, it is true that three cops had to either resign or got demoted after an investigation into a movie deal. Mm. And I think Tyria was in on that deal also. Of course. So, yeah, I think the allegations were right in terms of people trying to get money from her or out of her. I don't think that they were the reason she was killing people. But I do think her paranoia just started getting worse and worse. And to the point she thought like her cell was bugged. She thought her food was being tainted. She thought everybody in prison was trying to fuck with her. And she didn't want to talk about the killings anymore. She just wanted to talk about the injustice that was being done against her and the police for their part in the murders. I have watched over and over and over interviews, and it's pretty daunting. Yeah, I'll bet. On the inside, Lee had some groupies, as serial killers do. She got some letters, some pen pals. Uh, Soon that would fade in time. I think like they all probably do. Yeah. But one thing didn't fade. There was one person in Lee's life, her old high school friend, name was Dawn. They were friends for a couple years in school, but she was the one person that hung with Lee that didn't treat her like trash. They lost touch over the years while Lee was on the road, but after incarcerated, Dawn reached back out to Lee in a letter and their friendship was bonded again. Every single day in jail, Lee would write to Dawn, sometimes multiple letters in one day. And every single day, Dawn would write back from Michigan to Lee. Wow. The book I referred to called Dear Dawn, you can read all these letters 
and it's real fascinating. It's real humanizing and probably one of the reasons this is such a fascinating case. Well, who profited from that book, Dawn? Yeah, so I've thought about this because, yes, there's three people that have put this, published this book and Dawn being one of them. So, yes, I do think that Dawn did profit from it. And I had I had to think about it for a long time because you have to think, like, was Dawn in on, on it just for the money too then? But I don't think so. I mean, 10 years of writing letters back and forth every single day, like, you're not in it for the money. She also didn't publish these letters until I think 10 years after 10 year, I think for 20 years. Yeah. Okay. I get that. And I think that it is worth publishing to give us, you know, insight into her psyche and all that stuff. I just, I don't think that anyone directly affiliated should profit. I think all the money should go towards battered women shelters or mm-hmm. the victim's family or something. I don't think one person should profit off of a killer. I agree with you. Otherwise, I think you just run the risk of it always being exploitive, however it's portrayed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but all these movies of killers and stuff are for profit. I mean, even, I mean, think of Tiger King. Those people, Netflix is like making a killing off that movie. Yeah, Yeah, but they're not directly, you know, it's not like... I don't know. You know I don't Joe know. Exotic is not making money off Tiger King. No, he's not. No, he's not. None of those people are. So it's more of an accurate portrayal. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I, well, there's a lot coming. You know, we, we're not going down that road. But anyways, if you want to read that book, it is really fascinating because okay. it, all the letters to Dawn, you don't have the letters back or from Dawn to her, but you get a very clear sense of who Lee was. And you can also see her psyche from like day one to 10 years later. Okay. So Lee was a serial killer by numbers, but an actual serial killer that we know, one that like stalks their victims, decides how to do it, and truly gets a kill from or a thrill from killing. I just am not so sure that's what Lee was. Yeah, I agree. After Lee was denied appeal after appeal, and she herself did research to know that death row inmates 99% of the time do not get out, and the 1% that do are on DNA evidence, she knew her chances were zero. So she changed her story. She became a monster. She wrote letter after letter to the state and officials claiming her guilt. She what, said she, she killed. Die? Yeah. Mm. She said she killed each one in cold blooded premeditated murder and she would do it again if she was ever let free. So the court finally granted her wishes and set a date for death. She went on camera stating she made everything up and let's be real. She didn't. Yeah. She just did it like you said to to be put to death sooner than later. She was tortured on death row. And in an interview from or in, in in an interview with Nick Broomfield, who has made two documentaries about her life, 
one called Life and Death of a Serial Killer and the other called Born to Kill. Aileen thinks the camera dropped and the recording was stopped when Nick was pressing her for the truth on the murders. And at this point, she was like gung-ho, like, I did him in cold blood and I would do it again. And when she thinks that the tape was not going anymore, she whispers to Nick and she says, I can't afford to not be put to death. I can't afford to not go through this. And he asks her again, he said, so you did it in self-defense? And she quietly whispers, yes. Mm. At this point, she's literally losing her mind in a bad way. Her paranoia has taken over and she really is being tortured in jail And whether the abuse was fabricated or factual, to her, it was all really happening. And she couldn't discern the difference. Yeah. So on October 9th, 2002, Aileen Carol Woros was to be executed. She took one last interview with Nick Broomfield, who she grew pretty fond of over the years. But at this point, she still only wanted to speak about the police and the injustice. And when pressed again on the self-defense thing, she said, just put a question mark in your film. Like she wouldn't say Mm -hmm. yes or no. Dawn was her last visitor, her friend Dawn, and they shared a meal together. So she refused her last official meal. That's hardcore. I know. She just requested a cup of coffee. Her last words were, I just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus, June 6th. Like the movie, big mothership and all, I'll be back. She was put to death by lethal injection and her ashes were sent home with Dawn where Dawn put her under a tree in her backyard where she stays today. And Dawn was her only friend. Tyria Mm. never made contact with Lee. So when going through this case, I think you feel for Lee, you really do, but she did know what she was doing was wrong. And there are things that people have questioned, like, She took Windex sometimes with her and her gun in her bag. And they're like, why would she take Windex if she didn't know that she was going to kill them or she killed them in self-defense? To me, it's like maybe she thought, if I have to do it, I'll do it. And then I'll have this Windex to clean it up. Yeah. The owner of the last resort bar where Lee spent a lot of time had become real good friends with her. He knew her really well. And he says that. He thinks she did it to keep up with Ty. Tyria was the only person that ever stayed with Lee, and she knew that she had to keep bringing Hope the money to keep Ty around. And at the end of the day, we have really eight people gone. We have seven men and one woman. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, Gretchen, people are still trying to make money off of her. There I saw online... There is a letter from her to Tyria for sale for 575 bucks. Wow. Don't you think that's gross? Yeah, I think it's real gross. That is what I'm talking about about that. I don't 
Yeah. No one should profit like that. No. And like who's selling it, Tyria? I don't know. You know, I did look up Tyria. She um she's still around. She is uh she's married and uh still living in Pennsylvania. That's where she was um that's where she was when they like found her. It doesn't say Oh, I guess there's a so there's a website for true crime collectibles, which is real fucking sick. Okay, yeah, I don't think you should do that. No, and it's five hundred seventy-five dollars. Tyria Moore letter and envelope. Oh no, it's actually a letter to Lee from Tyria. From Tyria, yeah, that's dumb. I wonder if you can ever really even believe this. No. I don't think you can. I wouldn't believe this to like save my life. Yeah. I wouldn't pay 500 bucks for it. So anyways, Gretchen, they made a movie. Okay. With Charlize Theron and Christina Ricci called Monster, which I'm sure 99% of you guys have seen. I have not seen it. Is this the first time I've ever seen something that you have not? Well, you know, the thing about my um, watching abilities is I don't really watch grown-up movies since I had children. Well, this movie came out a long time ago, before you had kids, I think. Let me see. I do. So when I was doing this, I didn't even know that this was about this um, movie was about this girl. Yeah. Oh, this movie came out in 2003. And so one year after she was put to death. And so they must have been making it at the same time. So I remembered once I, so I watched that documentary and then I was like, it kind of like got my brain moving a little bit. And I was like, oh my God, I bet you this is the same movie. And it is, I mean, it is a real amazing movie. You should watch it. Yeah, I will. Charlize got fat for this movie. She did get fat, for and this she movie. won, and she won an Oscar or something. She did, yeah. That, that's how. That's why. Let me tell you, when I so I haven't watched it in a long time, but I do remember these psychotic parts where they have her in the, like a jail uniform and they're like taping her. She does such an amazing job because I've watched the real interviews with her and. She really did an, a phenomenal job in the movie. And then, you know, I'm friends with Christina. Yeah, reach And she played her, Lee's girlfriend. She played uh, a fictional character because they didn't want to get probably sued from Tyria. Yeah. So they made her lesbian lover, Christina Ricci, which is exact opposite of Tyria. She's like cute small, and little. adorable. And small. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Lee was not that. But I think they still based the character off her. Like they still made it like she was doing it to, to get her love. Yeah. The one thing I did read though was that the producers of Monster did not reach out to any of the family members of the victims. So it is skewed a little bit on the feel sorry for Lee. Yeah, I think that happens a lot. Yeah. And so 
Anyhow, you should watch that movie today. Yeah, I will. I will totally watch that movie. I love Charlize Theron. Yeah, she Listen, is. J'adore Amour. I love it all. You know what? You're going to be so, you're going to be like, holy shit. She, she looks so different in this movie. I mean, she looks real ugly. Like she's been in quarantine and yeah. she, and she didn't have any twinkle razors. Shave her that's face right. and her legs. Oh, yeah, that's what they're called, twinkle. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's the story. And that was a Woo! real, real deep one, Gretchen. And I'm so glad that I just had to tell it twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really fucked with my head this yeah. one yeah I actually after you told me that the first time went to shit I was like wait I already brain dumped that because I, I needed to brain dump it and so hopefully the second time was just as good as first yeah and again we have some shout outs not to any fuck bags okay okay uh, this one just came in from Megan she says bed Best podcast discovery of 2020. That is so nice. Well, thank you, Megan. Beecher Nisi. I'm probably totally saying that wrong, but thank you. Love this podcast. Just a Mom in Texas. She loves the chit chat. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Just a Mom in Texas. I'm Just a Mom in just California. Just a Mom in Yeah. <laughs> New favorite podcast from Cowgirls. Oh, Felicia from the OC. Thanks, Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. You probably get that Hi, a lot. Hi, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Dean. She says, hey, from North Carolina. Hey. Hey. Uh, shout out from Kristen Young from Wisconsin. Thank you so much. Love it. Steph Ratz. Steph Watts. She says, entertaining. Thanks, Steph. Golnaz. G from Orange County. It's not me. It's not me. It's not you. No. There's another G from Orange County. And, oh, we have another one from Wisconsin. Kelly from Wisconsin. There's a, that's so awesome. A Kristen and a Kelly. They like the K names like Maybe me. Maybe they're friends. I hope they are. All right. And I think that's it for today. And you guys, I want to say thanks to all the people on our Patreon and Himalaya. You guys rock. Thank you so much. We do extra bonus crimes and content there. And you can find some real early episodes of when we were crime carpools and cocktails. Yeah. And we love Patreon. Swear yeah, it's on. It is. Patreon seems to be a little bit better in the audio quality, but either one, we are super stoked on. Thank you guys for your support. We truly, truly appreciate it. And then we also have another podcast called Panic Party. You guys can hear us there. We just chit-chat about what the fuck we're panicking about right now. Mm -hmm. Some people didn't realize that it was two different podcasts, so we do have that. You guys want to check us out there? We have a lot of content, you guys, so we're keeping you real busy. Yeah. And that's it. Clink, clink. Clink, clink. <laughs>